Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Over the last few days, as air raid sirens have sounded over Ukraine, I've been reminded of the last letter, as found in Vasily Grossman's novel, Life and Fate. Life and Fate is one of the major literary works of Grossman a mid-century Jewish Soviet writer and journalist whose novels have been compared to those of Tolstoy. Born in Berdichev, Ukraine, and trained as an engineer prior to becoming a novelist, Grossman was a war correspondent for the Red Army, writing first-hand accounts of the major battles of World War II, as well as some of the first reports of the atrocities of the concentration camps. The fate of Grossman's literary legacy is a story unto itself, with the publication, translation, and dissemination of his works at times championed and at times suppressed, depending on the proclivities of the Soviet regime. Life and Fate, though it was written in 1959, wasn't actually published until 1980, 16 years after Grossman's passing, after photographs of the manuscript were secretly smuggled abroad by Soviet dissident Andrei Sakharov. The last letter, sometimes referred to as the last letter from mother to son, is the 18th chapter of Life and Fate. Set in Berdichev ghettos of 1941, the letter contains the final testimony of a woman, Anna, to her son, Viktor Strum, referred to as Vitya, or his Russian diminutive, Vityenka. The letter, written with the hope of being smuggled out of the ghetto following liquidation, reveals the last thoughts of the author prior to her death. The letter describes everything, from the air raid sirens to the arrival of the Germans, to Anna's observations about daily life in the ghetto itself. And while the letter itself is fiction, the context that gave rise to it is not. Not only is Grossman's protagonist, Victor Strum, understood to be a self-portrait of the author himself, but we know that Grossman's actual mother, Katerina, was murdered by the Nazis together with so many other Ukrainian Jews in the horrors of September 1941. The letter, considered a literary masterpiece on its own, has been dramatized as a film and as a play, it's presently being performed on the stage in Paris. Reading the last letter is no easy task, an imagined journey into the darkest horrors of the human experience. Grossman gives voice to the betrayals experienced by his mother as her lifetime neighbors betray her to the Germans, the very people besides whom she had lived and loved her whole life how they argue in her very presence over who will take her chairs, her desk, 
other possessions once the Germans are through with her. She describes the sad journey of the Jewish community through their hometown and into the ghetto, as well as the courageous efforts made by the Jews to maintain the last threads of their dignity, even as death neared. But what I found to be most moving of all was not any one act, heroic or hate-filled, described in the letter, but the fact of the letter itself. The thought of Grossman, who by way of his fiction puts to paper his own mother's final days, imagining her final reflections, giving voice to his mother's voice as to what she would have said to her son if given the opportunity to slip a letter out just before her passing. For all of its anguish, the letter is not only about death, it's about life, a mother recalling her son's first books, his first letter, his first day of school, a mother's confessions to her son that she was but human, full of the same mistakes, jealousies, indulgences, and regrets that characterize every human life. To read the last letter is to consider the combination of guilt and gratitude that Grossman lived with for the rest of his days, knowing that he survived that which his mother did not. Always be happy with those you love, the mother writes her son. Those around you, those who have been closer to you than your mother, forgive me. Grossman went back to Berdichev after the war in hopes of learning of his mother's last days, but whatever he learned, the question of what his mother was actually thinking was ultimately a project of his own imagination. How can I finish this letter, the mother, the son writes? Where can I find the strength, my son? Are there words capable of expressing my love for you? I kiss you, your eyes, your forehead, your hair. Remember that your mother's love is always with you, in grief, in happiness. No one has the strength to destroy it. Not the words of Grossman's mother, but Grossman's journey into the imagined blessings of a mother to a son. That is the power and poignancy of the last letter. The memories of those whom we recall at Yisker are memories that we carry with us, not just at Yisker, but every day of the year and every day of our lives. Today we hold on to those memories, memories of our loved ones, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, sons and daughters. We think of them now. We think of them always. But I think that the ask of Yisker is more than just one of memory. We do not need a Yisker service to remember. The calling of the day, the recalling of this day, rather, is to enter into a dialogue with our loved ones and imagine dialogue as Grossman did with his own mother. Death, as the saying goes, ends a life, but it does not end a relationship. Were we to engage in the exercise of giving voice to the words of our loved ones to us, what is it that they would say? What would they want us to hear? Every Yisker is a powerful one, but on Shmini Atzeret, this penultimate day of the festival season, the tug of memory is especially strong. 
akin to that famous parable of the king whose children are asked to linger a bit longer before returning home, so too the power of this festival on us to linger, to be in dialogue with the memories of our loved ones just a little more. In a few short hours, we'll begin this year anew. The distractions of daily life await. But right now, we open our hearts to the words we imagine our loved ones would share. I imagine, as in the case of Grossman and his mother, those whom we recall today might begin with an admission of humanity, perhaps even a confession of missteps. It's hard, sometimes impossible, for a person mid-strive in life to acknowledge human frailty, to admit to the ego, envy, pride, and all the human foibles that make people people. It's one of the many ironies of the human condition that the very shortcomings we so clearly and quickly see in others, we fail to admit in ourselves. On this day that we remember our loved ones, perhaps we should remember that they, no different than we, were only human, and that they would, if they could, admit to their humanity in a way perhaps they never did when they were living. Perhaps they would give voice to when they could have been better, asking that we overlook their missteps. And perhaps in hearing those imagined words, we ourselves are called on to consider whether we are willing to grant them posthumous forgiveness. Maybe were we to imagine the words of our loved ones today, they might offer us counsel as to what defines a life well lived. Perhaps our loved ones might confess regret reflecting on times they could have ordered their priorities differently than they did that now with the clarity wrought by their own mortality, they might have chosen to choose, spend their time differently, to treat family, tradition, and community with an urgency that many do not, until of course it all begins to slip away. We imagine the different choices our loved ones might make if given the opportunity to do so, an exercise that we quickly realize is a projection of our own selves more than about our loved ones. How do we imagine, why do we imagine what they would do differently? Perhaps it's because with Yisker's reminder of the shared fate that awaits us all, we wonder what we ourselves should be doing differently in our own lives, but for some reason are not. To imagine a loved one's last testimony is to imagine their joys, but also their regrets, regrets that define our own sense of a life well lived. In researching Grossman, I discovered that not only did he document his mother's imagined last words, but he also drafted his own letters to his deceased mother. Yisker is our opportunity to draft the posthumous letters, not just of our loved ones, but the letters of our own lives, compositions that stand yet to be written. After all, we all know full well, as much as Yisker is about death, it's really about life. The lives of those whom we loved, the lives that we, the living, live, and most importantly, the manner by which the lives of our loved ones inform our own lives. The final letter, sentence of the last letter is instructive. Vidyenka, this is the last line of your mother's last letter to you. 
live, live, live forever, Mama. The last wish, the dying wish of a mother, of any parent, of any person, in any circumstance to the living, to live, live, live forever. In these final fleeting festival days, in this moment that we arrive with the memories of our loved ones in our hearts, we take up their charge to live, 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 to live lives of meaning and purpose, to insist on making the most of our precious time on this earth. We, ima we imagine their letters to us. We imagine our letters to them. We pray that the words we draft being peace, bring peace between us and them, that they inspire us in our own lives, that in so doing, their memories become an eternal blessing. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.